upon you, Lord, and to share about you and how Jesus, you, you influence his life, and we praise you for that, Lord, and I pray now, Lord, as we share from your word, Lord, that you will open our hearts again to your truths, and Jesus, that what, what I, comes out of my mouth, Lord, I pray will be pleasing to you and bring you glory and honor, that you will anoint me to proclaim your word. And I pray again that you'll anoint all of us here to, to hear what you want us to hear and to, and to place it in our hearts and take it with us this morning. And we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. You know, we hear a lot about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And we hear in the Bible the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel really uh, means Jesus, the good news of Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, so you can put another spin on that, but basically, you know, that is it. You know, it's interesting when we talk about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Christian world was probably one of the great missionaries, the greatest missionaries for Christ this world has ever seen. He even surpasses Billy Graham, we think. Billy Graham of the modern era, but the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the epistles, that, you know, the, uh, the books of the, of the New Testament. And you would think with that, with his credentials, that wherever Paul went, that he was successful. But that's not true. You know, when Paul went into Athens to, to proclaim Jesus Christ, talk about salvation, he was, he was rejected by so many people. When he preached that message of Jesus, some of his listeners actually laughed at him because the Greeks saw the, Greeks saw the human body as a liability. The idea was to separate the soul, in their view, the soul from the body because the body is bad, bad. They never thought of a resurrected body. That was not into their, vo vo their vocabulary. And that's the message that Paul addressed this salvation and addressed the Greeks based on the fact that Christ and there is a bodily resurrection. That's why he really wrote 1 Corinthians 15 to, in, in response to those that were laughing at him, saying, this is not true. But Paul said, give me a chance. Just give me a chance. Let me share this gospel with you before you make your decision that I'm wrong. Now, he did have converts. No doubt he did. But how would you like to be up here? Chris, how would you feel if people start laughing at you? <laughs> Wouldn't feel very good. You know, that doesn't feel good when people laugh at you. But he was trying, he laid his life on the line for his faith, for his Jesus. And we need to understand that as we go through these next 20 minutes or so, <laughs> I'm going to watch myself. I'm going to really guard and be very disciplined today. Um, of how Christ does change life. So I'm going to look at first, my first thought, I'm going to call it the challenge. That comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise 
you have believed in vain. Paul reminded the Corinthians that he brought the gospel to them and wanted them to realize just how precious and necessary the word of God is. And so here we have Paul's lining it up. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about the word. Of course, they didn't have the Bible as we have it you know, today, of course. But so a lot of this was just oral tradition. But he wanted them to focus on the truths of the word of God. Verse 2. If you hold firmly to the word, I preached you. I love that. If you hold firmly to the word, I preached you. He urged and challenged the Corinthians and us to stand on the gospel and hold firmly to the word. To hold firmly to the word. As a Christian, the, the word of God is your anchor. It's your, it's your compass. You hang on to that. He said you need to gravitate to it, not only to gravitate in terms of looking at it, but to read it and apply its truths to your life. And once you do that, things just open up. Things come alive in Christ. I'm, I'm sure I could talk with Chris and others who really are in the Word of God each and every day, and they will tell you in their own way how the Word comes alive in their lives and how they live life. It becomes real. And that's what Paul really was encouraging. All of his readers say, hey, don't just take my word for it, but take his word for it. You know, turn to Christ and see how he can, he can change and transform your life. Now, this leads me to the, my second thought. I'm calling it the central message. It comes from verses 3 and 4. Listen to these verses. For what I, have, for what I received, I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In just two verses, Paul focused on the importance of the cross, that Jesus died on our behalf, and hope in the resurrection. The central message of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's it. Paul was not, didn't start out as a Christian. He persecuted Christians. He hated them. Until Christ himself touched his heart and appeared before him. Consider this. If Jesus' death ended on the cross, there would be no good news to share. There'd be no resurrection to share. There'd be no eternal life to share. And, and the church would not bear witness. Why would you need the church if Christ wasn't crucified and raised from the dead? That's Paul. That's what he was sharing, how important. And, and without the resurrection, he was saying, then why the Bible? Why try to preach the gospel if, there's no, if it's all just a lie? been prefabricated, then why? What is the point? What is the purpose to preach and preach the abundant life in Jesus Christ? Why? That's what Paul is trying to hit them right where they live. And of course, it's say, okay, if it's all in vain, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then turn off the lights or whatever. Get on your camels, go on your donkeys or whatever, and just head home because 
This is just a useless message, useless conversation. Christ died for us. As we believe in him, he offers eternal life for us. That's the point. If, it's, if that's not the point, Chris wouldn't have been up here. If Christ had not died and come into my life, I would not be up here. Why would I do that? Why would I waste my time? It's quiet in here. Okay. So, let's recap for a moment. The three most important factors of the Christian faith are found in verses 3 and 4. Again, verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Even though Jesus Christ was nailed to, on the cross for our sins, we still had the capacity to sin. When we say, oh, you must forgive your, ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, and you need to do that, it's not just a once and for all deal. We all sin, we all fall short of the mark. We are not perfect. Christians are not perfect. We are only saved. So, so we need to understand that I know for me, I, your pastor, sin. I know some of you are shocked. Each and every, because we all sin. We all say things we shouldn't uh, say or do things we shouldn't do. So that always drives me back to the cross. And it should drive all of us Christians back to the cross to confess, to repent, and confess. And some people laugh. They say, oh, you talk about repent, repent, and turn from your sins. Hello? God is a righteous God. He hates and doesn't tolerate sin. So when we, when we sin as Christians, now listen, you're not losing your salvation, but we separate ourselves from God because God is perfect. God is righteous. So, so when we sin, when we confess our sins to Christ, then we are reconciled to him. Does that make any sense to you? So you don't lose your salvation. But man, I know, I know for myself, when I blow it, when I'm sinning, the spirit touches my heart and my mind. Says something, and, and my mind thinks something's wrong, something's wrong. Because that's what sin does all of us. So we need to understand that. Now, also, when he talked about the scriptures here, according to the scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament prophecies. In the Bible, you had the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament often, often had uh, scriptures that were written hundreds of years before Christ was born, and they point to Jesus' death. So we have so much. We're going to talk about that a little bit later here. We have so much. This isn't, isn't Christianity. is not just a, a religion of emotion, but it's a religion of history. We have proof that Jesus Christ, this almost like, sounds like an Easter uh, message, doesn't it? But we have proof that Jesus Christ lived and ministered, died, and was resurrected. We have more evidence of Jesus Christ and his ministry than we do that Caesar Augustus lived. Isn't that amazing? When you stop and think about it, all through the years, people try to put down the Bible or say it's an error, whatever, but they've never proved it because they can't, because it's truth. 
And so we have that. So that's a wonderful, confident thing, you know, that we have. Now, let's go on to another thought in verse 4 here, that he was buried. Again, it's an historical fact. Jesus Christ actually died on the cross and was buried in a tomb. And then my, my last thought here in verse 4, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. Again, various scriptures tell us Jesus rose from the tomb on the third day. So that's all this, okay, okay, he's telling me, okay, this happened, we've got proof here, we have proof there, but we need that. Now, some of us need it more than others. Some believe, they say, okay, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, I do. With no questions, they do. That wasn't me. I had questions. Wait a minute. Now, he died for me. Where's your proof? How do I know this is true? And for some of us, we need that proof. For some, that gets us over the hump, and we believe. My wife, not the case. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm there. I don't question it. I just believe it. But she does have questions, but not about her salvation. Are you with me so far? Okay. That's good. Does that lead us into what I call the confirmation? That's my third point. The confirmation, verses 5 through 8. And that he appeared, referring to Jesus, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Jesus, Paul stated that Jesus' death and resurrection were confirmed by what? By the apostles, by his disciples, 500 eyewitnesses, not to mention that he appeared, that he appeared to Paul himself. The Bible says that Jesus' resurrection changed people's lives. It changed their lives. And we need, to un we need to pack that and understand what that means. They became bold, faithful followers of Christ. Okay, picture this. You had the people that, was, uh, that was surrounded Jesus and knew him. And then when Jesus was arrested, some of them, now, well, I'm paraphrasing, but some of them were really starting to say, whoa, what's going on here? We've been following this guy. We've been seeing all these miracles. And suddenly, he's arrested by, by these Romans or whatever. And so some have started to back away. Of Before, they were kind of bold, but now they're backing away. And then he has his trial. And then he's beaten. All of this is happening. And then he takes that journey to the cross. What do you think his followers were thinking? They were prepared for this. They didn't understand. They thought Jesus would come and just conquer the world. But it didn't work out according to their plan. So they became very confused, disillusioned. Some left him, walked away from him, said, this is a phony And then came the resurrection when he appeared to them. And he turned 
those people, those eyewitnesses, into bold, faithful followers. And just like that, he changed their lives. They became, and Christ changed his life. Chris talked about his testimony, how he received Christ at, what, four or five years old? And God started his journey. For some of you here that received Christ, it would happen later in life, how God came into your life and changed you. How many times have I heard testimonies of people that say, this is the way I was before Christ. I was into the world. I was doing all of these things. That, but then when Christ came into my life, he changed me. Suddenly, I looked at things a little bit differently. I had different values. It just, things were happening in my life. I don't understand, but I am different. God has changed me. That's what Christ does. And I can't, I can't say to you here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we have new people here, whatever, please allow me to introduce to you Jesus Christ. And then he comes walking through those doors and comes right up here with a flowing robe or whatever and starts speaking. I can't do that. What? How do we know? How do we know that all of this is real? And I say we have, all, we have the evidence of that, historical evidence and what have you, eyewitnesses. But for me, what, what does it for me is Christ changes life. Christ changes life. He'll take the old, he'll remove it, and put new values, new uh, principles in your life because that's what he does. We move on to number four, God's plan. And two questions here come to mind for me. One is why Jesus? John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's plan from the beginning was to send his son Jesus to pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That's it. That's why he came. He didn't have to. He did. The perfect one came to pay that ultimate price for our sins. Amen? And amen. Okay. Number two, my thought here is why, question, why did Jesus die on the cross? 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That is packed. Here Paul summarizes the message of salvation in three, uh, four phrases. I got, I got A, I got Jesus suffered and paid the penalties for our sins, so we don't have to. We don't have to pay that penalty because Jesus had paid that price for us. And B, Jesus was, was put to death on the cross. See, Jesus was made alive in the spirit, his own spirit. And D, Jesus brings glory to God through salvation. For all who believe in him, they have salvation. This brings glory to God. You see where we're going here? There had to be a plan. We had... This world has fallen so far away from God, and God says, I'm giving you a plan of how you can come back to me. 
and through my son, Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Our response. What I'm going to say here at this point is there's, quite frankly, there are some Christian churches would not agree with me. Fortunately, we all agree. Some churches do. But this is very important for us to understand is that, that as every person must come before Jesus Christ and recognize him as his or her Lord and Savior. It's a, it's a personal, personal commitment. You cannot become a Christian, a believer in Christ, by riding on someone else's coattails. It doesn't work that way. I have people in my life, family members that aren't Christian. You know, they know where I'm at, but they have to make their own decisions. That's their choice. That's the beauty of God. He gives us choices to make. You know, he said, here it is. Here's the truth. The truth will set you free. Do you want it or not? It is a free gift. You cannot earn it. It's by my grace. Here it is. Take it. No, I don't want to take it. He's not going to beat you over the head and make you and force you. That's the beauty of God. It's choice that we make. He wants us to make that choice. So, it doesn't matter if you have grown up in the church. At some point, at some point, you still need to make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, listen to this, it doesn't matter, I'm going to pull this up a little so you can hear me. It doesn't matter how bad you are. Oh, you're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. Why would God even think about loving you? You are worthless. You are a piece of junk. Well, first of all, God doesn't make junk. But some people see themselves as, or the people they hang out with. Oh, yeah, well, you're one of those Jesus freaks. You're weak. You're this, you're that. Look at me. I'm macho. When I do this and I do that. Well, yeah, that can get you in jail too. But how many people just, they, they just blow Christ off because they just don't feel that, hey, make a personal commitment to who? To somebody I don't even know? I can't even see? But it comes down to a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And we can't go it alone. We can't go it alone. But remember this. No one is so bad that they cannot be forgiven. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've heard people come to me and say, oh, but pastor, you don't realize how bad my life has been. You don't realize all these bad things that I've done. How could a loving God ever, ever, ever forgive me? But the good news is he does. No matter what we've done in our lives, God will forgive if we call upon him and confess. He will, he will make all things new. So all we need to do is to turn to Christ, turn to God to save us. And it all starts, my friends, it all starts with believing in Christ. 
That's, that's the starting, believing in Christ. I want to read from Romans chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. If you declare or confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This doesn't mean that we won't have questions or have un and understand every spiritual insight. It simply recognizes that we are a sinner and that we need a Savior. We can't, again, go it alone. It's recognized that Jesus loved you so much. He loved you so much. He loves me so much that he sent his only perfect son to die on that cross to save us, to save you, to save me. I was a churchgoer. I'd go on Christmas and Easter. I was there, that was me. And in between, on Sundays, my wife went to church. She was raised in the church. But me, on Sunday morning, I say, no, 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 listen. I worked so hard this whole week that I just want to, I want to worship St. Tribune on Sunday morning. I want my sports. I want this. You go to church. Take the kids, you know, and I catch up later. Or I'd go to church if the kids were involved in a, Chris, uh, you know, like a church program or whatever. But I was the first one, I guarantee you, I was the first one out the door when that service was over. I did not want, I did not want to be in the same room with those hypocrites. So I got out. I didn't want Christ. I didn't want him. Until one day I started searching. In my pain, my life was going nowhere and my wife gently steered me toward Christ. And one moment, he changed my life. I went from no hope to all the hope in the world of finally somebody loves me, warts and all. All I need to do is respond to him and seek him and seek his faith. He can make a difference in my life, and he's done that. That's what Christ does and amen, yes, for all of you, what I'm saying is not different. It's not unusual, right? You've heard it before. It's happened to you. That's what Jesus Christ can do to each of us. And finally, my last point, number six, and that is receiving Christ. 1 John 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving Jesus Christ is inviting him into your heart. That's the first step. I was on my knees alone in my own bedroom. When I hit my knees, I said, Lord, if you are who you say you are, then come into my heart. That's all I said. And I had bells and whistles. I knew something would come upon me that I'd never experienced before. 
That was the Spirit of God just coming into my heart and into my mind. When Jesus comes into our hearts, he comes into our heart by his Spirit. That's another story. You know, just becoming a Christian, so, that's, that's just the beginning of a journey. And for some, it's the beginning of many questions. But he comes into our, our hearts by way of his Holy Spirit to give confirmation that this is real. Okay? Now, I'm going to stop here because... Maybe you've heard this before in a different way, but the same, same message. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it time and time again. But, you know, Billy Graham used to say something that really, well, part of this, his testimony was that he was, he was preaching and he was compelled for this one particular uh, message. He didn't really bring Jesus into it. He didn't really talk about salvation. He didn't talk to the people and challenge them to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In that, in, that, in that moment, he didn't. After that service was over, a person in that, that he knew or whatever in that audience died. And Billy Graham said to himself and to his Lord, I will never ever preach like that again. Because we don't know. We don't know how long we have on this planet. And when we die, there's no turning back. You know, people can say, well, how do you know that this is true? How do you know? And my response would be a very uh, similar response and familiar one would be, okay, I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for a, a lot of years. If Christ is not real, then I've lost 40, 41 years in ministry. That's what I've lost. I've lost those years of sin. Did I waste my time? 41 years of, did I waste my time? But you, you say that Christ isn't who he is then what have you lost? Then you've lost eternity. And it doesn't, you can't change it. Once you die, you die. Bible says you die once. That's why it is so important for people to make a commitment today to Jesus Christ. Because if you die and you have not, and this is not fire and brimstone trying to create a lot of fear in you, this is fact. That if you die without Christ, you've died in your sin. You've died without him. You've died and lost any hope of eternal life. There's no purgatory, according to the word of God. There's none. You make your choice here. That's why Jesus says, you make a choice. You've heard it. You've heard it many times. You make a choice. You have so much to gain. But what happens if you don't make that choice? You're separated from God forever and ever 
and ever and ever. It doesn't stop. That's what's at stake here. For some people, for some, even Christians, they've been in the church or whatever, and they don't know where they really are. Have they really accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? If that's you, if you have any shred of doubt, God can change that today. He can turn you around, turn your heart around just like that. But you have to make the choice. Accept, receive Jesus Christ. That's the greatest choice and the most important choice any of us, any of us could ever make in our lives. You can put it off, but there's no guarantee that you drive out of here, you get in 47 or whatever, you don't get broadside and get killed. I hope and pray that doesn't happen, of course. My point is this is, could be your only chance, your only chance to know him. Take it. Now, I'm closing up, and I've heard people say, if, if this is real and Jesus is real, whatever, then what would be the steps? How, you know, it seems a little bit complicated to me because we make it complicated. It's really very simple. Christ made it very simple to come to know him, didn't he? Because none of, most of us are not PhDs. You know, he made it very simple for us to come to know him. And it's a very simple prayer. We're going to pray that if you feel that you're not sure or that you want to want Christ in your life, that you want eternal life, then pray this prayer with me. But how many have been to a wedding? Of course. Well, I can say weddings. Yes, yes. Okay. So we listen to the couple in front as a pastor says, now repeat after me. And so they repeat their wedding, their, their, their vows. Well, we can do the same thing in Christ. We in, in, as we're seeking and we're looking for him for salvation, then we can pray the simple prayer. So I'm going to pray this prayer with you, and I want you, in your heart, in your own, to repeat after me. But repeat it to yourself. Just repeat these words. Repeat these words. I'm going to tell you something. God, God loved you so much. He loves you so much that he is just pleading in his heart right now for one here, two, three, four, that had never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. All I can tell you is this. If you're still wondering, try him. The Bible says just try him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you want to know him, then I'm going to pray, and you just pray after me my words that I'm giving you. God has given me for you. And just pray them. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know that my past sins 
have separated me from you. That you, Jesus, died on that cross in my place. Lord, I don't quite understand all of this. But Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Jesus, forgive me of all those bad things I've done in my life. And Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you are who you say you are, come into my heart. Come into my life right now. And please, Lord, please begin to redirect my life. And thank you, Jesus, for giving me eternal life. Jesus name that's pretty much what I prayed many years ago when we pray that prayer that's it your spiritual journey has just begun you are now a loved member of God's family you are now a new brother and sister in Christ. See, it's all about the risen Christ. It's all about Christ. For no other person or religion on this planet can forgive our sins Give you, put it, you per, give you salvation. Change you and give you, give your life such purpose and hope. That's what Christ can do. You pray, you accept him, you are a new creature in Christ. There's no gimmicks. There's no, okay, what's next? But what I said earlier, your journey has begun. You are starting a journey. There's so much more that God has for you. So much more to learn. But you take it one step at a time. You're saved. Now you grow in your faith. That's important for us to see and understand. That, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. That's it. Paul preached Christ crucified. This old guy preaches Christ crucified. Because that's it. That's the ball game. Without the resurrection, why would we be here? God loves you. I hope and pray that you have received him as your Lord and your Savior. Because it gets a whole lot better each step of the way. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you 
so much for for the cross, Lord, and thank you that, boy, you didn't stay there. Thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me new purpose. You've given us new purpose. You've given us your spirit that lives in us. You've given us new hope that we didn't have before. And thank you, Lord, so much that for how bad we've been in the past, all the things we've done, Lord, that by seeking and asking you to forgive us, you clean the slate. And help us to live life fresh and new. So we thank you, Lord, for taking away our sins on that cross. How awesome that is. We humbly come before you, knowing that one day we'll all be with you in paradise. A new heaven and a new earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us for one last song? Oh,